Welcome to The Last Supper, a weekly podcast featuring emergent and established artists, gallerists, curators and collectors in Asia. Hello, I'm your podcast host, Oscar Van Huys. In this episode of The Last Supper, I sat down with mixed media and performance artist Ai Zwong in her Hong Kong studio. We began our conversation talking about her experience of studying art in Hong Kong, how she began performance art, discuss what's behind her recent work for post-human narratives and the reports she developed with Sunflowers. Ai's completed the conversation by explaining why she was jumping off a wooden cabinet and what other work she has planned for this year. This podcast is supported by Christie's Education. Receive a 15% discount on all the art courses. Visit Christie's Education, go to the Hong Kong courses page and fill in Last Supper 15. And that's all in capital letters, Last Supper 15. The website link of Christie's Education in Hong Kong and discount code are in this podcast description as well. Welcome, Ai Zwong. How are you today? Yeah, good. Nice weather. I have bathrobes and lunch, so all good. <laughs> Before we begin, in Hong Kong and many other places around the world, it is very common to have an English nickname. Besides your Chinese one, I am really curious how you ended up with your name, Ice. Oh, uh, yeah, that's a long story, actually. So when I was small and then like my mother, she when she thought of the English name, because in Hong Kong, like the school in Hong Kong, we usually need to give a like English nickname. So at some point, like she kind of like giving wish to me through giving me a name, a nickname. And also, so at some point I got a senior in my school, she was representative on one of the sports I've already forgot. So she always saw her name Ice on the newspaper headline. We studied in the same school. And then at some point she said, oh, maybe you can call, I can call you Ice. So you can have uh, the same success with like as your senior in the school. And so that's why I came up with the name Ice. Yeah, it turned out I didn't do sport, I do art. <laughs> Here we are in your Hong Kong studio which is an old industrial estate on the Kowloon side of Hong Kong. There's a lot of activity outside and you may hear the occasional construction work, typical of Hong Kong of course, and the traffic sound outside because next to your studio is a highway. How would you describe your studio? My studio is a shared space with other three studio mates. One of my studio mates is a ceramics artist. We have a corner with the machine and also the keen for the ceramic making process. And my sit actually is along the window side. We have beautiful window view here. And then, so there are two tables along the window side. One is my table and the other one is my studio, another studio maze. So uh, we kind of sh- usually share the space in, in the studio at different time because we all have a full time. And so we usually work on after work and also during the weekend. And I mainly work on my table for pondering the concept. Until I have exhibitions, I we have a, like a middle space in our studio. I will occupy it for some material testing and also artwork making when I have show coming up. Yeah, but they all understand my <laughs> situation, so they're kind of very kind and considerate. Yeah, when I look around, you have some really fascinating items in your studio, including light bulbs, of course, many, many boxes, but also what appears to be a human skeleton how did the skeleton end up in this space? Oh, we named him Daywick. <laughs> we have a name for a skeleton. <laughs> That's the first thing I we got uh, since we have the studio. Because uh, I think before we rent the space in Hongham, in here, we have a studio in JCCAC, in Shakime, the building there. Because we are all HKBU alumni, so we were easier to get a, like, a studio space in there with a student discount. At the very beginning, we rent the studio space in JCCC at a very low price, and then after two year contract, we have to move out. So that's why we try to like hunting for space. And since Hongham is an area between our working area with the studio maze and also our home area, so we kind of settle here. Let's delve into art, and my question is, why do you make it? At the very beginning, I think I didn't think I would do art such a far away like now. And the first memory when I th- thought I was doing art since kindergarten, 
I think that experience changed me a lot because my parents didn't want to pay much for extra like activities actually. But at some point when I was K three, and then in that summer they paid twenty dollars at that time for our summer drawing classes at my kindergarten school. And then, so at that time, I remembered after we paid for the tuition fee, I got a large bag of drawing material. I got a drawing board inside, a drawing paper, and also a coloring pencils. So at that time, I I was like, oh my god, I got so many things to draw, and that's what my first memory to draw something. And then I think also because my parents, after I drew the the different drawings. They usually stick them on the walls at our home, so that's I think that's kind of motivation and encouraging moments I have when I did something called art. Your interest eyes appears to have started really young, and you continued this in your high school years as well. Describe to me what that journey was like in Hong Kong. So in Hong Kong, um, so in like. For like high school years, you have to decide your electives, and then at some point, I told them I would like to select art for my elective. I mean, it's just one of the elective, because like schools in Hong Kong, they allow allow you to to choose art as your major. It can be only be your minor electives or even like self study electives, but you can also take the exams in the Hong Kong public exam. But you just can't only take art. You have to. Study along with like economics, history, Chinese history, etc. So at some point, I kind of like, I was thinking. So what my was my weakness and strength? And at some point, I think I do love to draw something. And then so I talked to my parents, but you know I'm not sure. I, I think like it might be also a global situation. Like study art is quite costly at some point because you have to pay for like classes. And also materials, etc. So, when I talked to my parents, they kind of like understood my, what I think, and also tried to be supportive. But also, they asked me, you have to think about carefully, like how art can bring you to go further for your future. But they kind of understanding actually, yeah. You then continued at the university with visual art. Why visual art, and what makes it so appealing to you? I think because I'm more a practical person. I'm more like want, I love to do something by my hands and write. I'm write. I'm not a writing person, <laughs> definitely. And then like, so just like other students in Hong Kong or like the other artists, I started doing art with drawing and painting when I studied in secondary school in my high school. And then I remember at that time my. After I decided to take visual arts as my electives, we have to do some artwork for portfolios, and then so that you can apply for universities. And then at some point, I made one of the project in installation presentation. But actually, I didn't know what is installation art at that time. My secondary school teachers, VA teacher, inspired me a lot because he also studied fine arts in CUHK. And he even finished the master in there, but just he decided to be an educator, so that's why he stayed in the school. And then so he, what he taught me actually widened and opened up my eyes on how art can be and what is art. A bachelor degree in art is that three or four years here in Hong Kong? Yeah, it's a three-year course. Um, and also you have to take the public examinations. We call it DSE, but before DSE we call it A level. And so for DSE,、uh, so it's kind of like the only chance to get enrolled to the university. I mean, even though you can take associate degree or high have a diploma afterward, if you fail to get the BA at once, like everyone was under pressure at that time, and then still art was was a subject that the school teacher actually they didn't really care. I remember when I need to fill up like university application form. And then my class teacher just asked me, like, very honest, to talk to me. Like, I have no idea about how I can help you to enroll for an art degree. Maybe you can ask for an art teacher. They kind of supportive, but just they also have no idea what is an art degree for. And then 
for them is is a very risky decision if you make all your first priority choices are all arts program. What what if you couldn't get it? They have no idea about portfolio. They have no idea about what is aptitude test in in the university. If you don't mind, I'm gonna ask you a few more questions about studying in Hong Kong because I never studied here myself. When you enrolled in visual arts, what are the subjects and disciplines they teach you in Hong Kong? Uh, so for HKBU, I study under the Academy of Visual Arts, and it's a four-year program. And for the first year, we we are not allowed to choose our elective first. It's just like basic for introductions to visual arts. So for semester one and semester two, we all kind of like divide sixty like sixty students is divided into three classes with um different professors. They kind of have different seminars and lectures weekly, focusing on a certain topic in that semester and kind of ice breaking on your mind. And I remember the first semester is a very simple topic called home. And then so every season just pointed the, the concept of home and use your own way to do weekly assignment and as well as a final assignment, which is an individual art presentation. You have to make something and then turn the campus to be an exhibition site and you have to set by yourself. And at that time, the first semester, like this classmate they thought kind of challenging was we didn't learn new techniques we didn't learn new skills for making something all we have is just the skill set we we gained from the secondary school but kind of lost in concept development what we have gained during the first semester so it's kind of like throwing you in the dessert and you have to figure out yourself and then what was the experience like to be thrown into the deep and trying to grapple with the unknown and the not knowing? I think for me at that time was the concept development because it's unlike your secondary school experience. And then like the teachers, I mean the lecturers, professor, what they have done and what they arranged the assignment, I mean the assignments and also the lecturers sharings for you actually is icebreaking. So you had to think out of the box. So it's a quite fresh and challenging moment. Sometimes you just think too much. Your professor would tell you that concept, you also think too much. It's going to be a paper, but not an artwork. Yeah. And so we just get confused. And then so what is art or like how far I should push and polish for an artwork concept. And sometimes they would say you, you have to study more for that, that area or anything else. And then also, we have to explore the material by ourselves. I mean, even though after you, you take other electives, that's the same. But just, we can't really use the other material like glass or anything. We can only use the simple materials as simple as we can get from maybe some stationery shop or... It's kind of like material testing so far, yeah. Before we began this conversation, you mentioned off-air that you worked with glass during your studies as well. We'll be talking more about your performance art, but I'm curious about why you were attracted to glass blowing. Uh, Hong Kong BU is the only university in Hong Kong they have their glass studio. And then, so at that time, I saw some glass pieces around, I mean, you can see them around the campus, but I didn't really take it as a consideration when I was year one. Until year two, we need to choose our elective. Just cohesively, like, I got enrolled into glass classes. Even though in glass category, we have different material and different category of glass. So the rest of the year, study year I spent for was uh, hot glass blowing, which is more like physical intense glass making medium. I remember at that time, I think... It was quite fair to everyone in the class because we knew nothing about glass. None of us have the experience before to how to make glass. So everyone in the class just started from zero, which I think might less pressure, less stressed, because everyone just learned together and started from zero. Yeah, that's how I started to make glass.
Before we continue, I have a small favor to ask. This podcast, The Last Supper, is offered to you at zero cost. And if you wish to support this podcast, please give it a like, a star rating, leave a comment, and make sure you share this podcast with your friends and anyone you think will benefit from listening to this podcast about art in Asia. Many thanks, and let's continue. Now, let's talk about your arts. I spoke with Kobe Cole previously, who curated a show called Post-Human Narratives, and you were part of that collaboration. Describe to me your involvement and your projects of the Post-Human Narratives. So, Post-Human Narratives is a project created by Kobe um, since 2020, and but actually the idea came much earlier in, I think, 2019. She approached me in 2019, but just at some point we tried to execute it in 2020, which is really under the, I mean, the COVID situations. Um, at the very beginning, it was Kobe Connect, me, and also with other three female artists. They're also emerging artists. And then so we were talking about what about we have a, a group exhibitions in the theme of post-human. And then so we tried to conduct with different art space in Hong Kong and see what's the possibility to take it in the physical exhibitions. And then at some point, we conducted with Hidden Space, run by Kay. I mean, she was uh, she is one of the co-founder of Hidden Space. It's also her studio space, actually. So when we contact them, actually, it was a, it was still a proposal with four artists. It's a group of exhibitions. But just some point when we get happened to our schedule, COVID happened. Everyone was scared to go out, and so we were thinking maybe we need to postpone the schedule for the physical exhibition. But we didn't want to wait. Initially, our schedule was April twenty twenty. We postponed to September twenty twenty, and then during the period we didn't want to wait, so we start like Kobe and when like with the art, we discussed with the other artists, we changed the format to be individual solo for us. So we started with an online platform. We have our own website, and then so different artists they take turns to have their artwork like showed on the website like digital in a digital way. But at some point to my turn, because my concept was kind of like very practical and it's all about the making process. So I find it difficult to transform it in a digital format. So we have a chat and then Kobe said, how about we make use of the scat, I mean the booking in hidden space, but we do it physical, but we do it like a hit up, like a pop-up exhibition just over the weekend and see how it's go. And then so turnout is it was successful. Yeah, everyone, I mean, at least the whole team we are all happy about that. And what was your central theme if you had one of your work in the post-human narrative show? What can you tell me about this? My work in post-human is more like to use ma- different material as a metaphor, pulling closer the distance between the theme and our daily daily life. So the material I use usually from our daily life, like candy flush, sunflower, or even like for this like laser stage we just have is about dream from interpretations. It's kind of like an easiest step for public to enter the theme of post human, I would say. So my work is more like an introduction as a chapter and also like area to ambiguous between the I mean the perception of post-human what the public they usually think of and also what actually is is already emerged in our daily life you made several pieces I recall three pieces I think for this particular show so how would you describe the three works that you developed for the post-human narrative show um for post-human I have three pieces of work the first two stage, I I did performance work. The first one we just mentioned in Hidden Space in 2020 was three day duration of performance. It's really a site specific performance. The work uh, is called There's No Beginning, There's No End. And I turned the whole space of Hidden Space to be a 
giant machine because I placed cotton candy machine in right in the middle of the room, and then during the exhibition period, also a performance period, so I wore in like complete white costume. The floor also got white protections, but also like a canvas. I, in my mind, they were all canvas. So I turned the whole space, including myself, and also actually the audience around me. They're all canvas, and also because in the theory of cotton candy making, I mean the sugar has to attach to something to make the chemical reactions, like to be a sugar free and something. So for the exhibition, I took down the shield. So the actually the sugar when it hit up and then when it's spinning. It attached to everywhere. It attached to my bodies, to the objects around, and also the audience. So it's kind of metaphor. Like once you enter to the space, you already part of the machine. You part of because you attach with the sugar freight, and also just like the world in posthuman, you everyone already in the era of posthuman. No one can escape once you enter to the room. How the cotton candy floss sticks to everything and everyone is a really fascinating metaphor. And what can you say about the physical objects in the space? I also got some sculptural pieces from left over from the cotton candy machine, installed on the wall. And then, so when the people enter the room, they firstly see the burnt machine part, hand on the wall first, and then also there's a wall dividing the space. So. They couldn't firstly see what I'm doing in the room, but they kind of like have a sense that there's something happening by hearing the sounds and the noise around. And then they, when they enter like inner to the space, they can see what's happening. And then this is for the first stage for the first phrase, and for the second phrase, I did another performance, but more like I call it hot happening. It's more like daily life scene. At that time, we rent a space in Katadi Port in Tokuawan. It was a very historical space with very specific and also historical marks on around the space, the red brick wall, and and also the concrete floor and the trace mark everywhere of the history. And then, but also in the community of Tokuawan, so you can see the cats around. The neighbors around, and even the security guards—they're more like neighbors, the daily neighbors. They came to talk to me every time when I was there, and then the cats just came to play with my flowers because I plant a hundred pots of sunflower during the exhibitions for posthuman phrase two, because that one is more like about to echo the subtitle of coexistent land. So one once I start planting with、um, sunflowers. Actually, I build up a relationship with them, and also it's kind of emotional trigger. The t- longer time I spent with the plants, the more emotional I have, and also through my research, because sunflower is kind of in scientific way, they plant it for to take down the chemical and also the toxic、uh, soil after some disaster, especially in Russia area and also in Japan area after three one one. So it's kind of like scientifically and also metaphorically is also have the meaning of healing. Oh wow, that's really fascinating! I never knew that sunflowers had these properties. Do other flowers have this as well, or is this unique to sunflowers? For now, it's not the only plant, but it's the most significant plant. They proved it. I mean, in 2021, when I did that one, I didn't realize for like the Tokyo Olympic Game. They got different characters, and one of the characters was、uh, also holding sunflower because of the tsunami. So it's also having like a hope of healing and recovering to like in the play of Tokyo Olympic game. And but I didn't realize at that time when I did the work until some like one of the visitor she told me. Oh, just like the meaning in the Tokyo Olympic game, and then I was like, "Oh my god, I didn't realize it." <laughs> yeah. And what about your work at Parasites? Was that your last show? 
Oh yeah, this the last or the, I would say the latest one was the show we did, uh, supported by Parasite. So we did it in Hong Kong Medical Science Museum, and then but this time I didn't do performance, and also because of because every time when I decide an artwork, actually I also try to be site responsive or site specific. Even so, that's that's why my performance pieces they also respond or like specifically designed for the space and when we came to the uh, Hong Kong Medical Science Museum I find the space for me at some point is hard to uh, have a regular performance and also I was more fascinated by the window size at that time and so I was like what about we I make an installation art for this time instead of performance art and also, I didn't want to get categorized every time. So when Ice Mom participated in an exhibition, she must do performance art. But I also do other medium. Just performance recently became my one of the like predominant presentation method, but not yeah the, the only one. So it's fairly recent that you are focusing more on performance art. How do you get introduced to performance art? I think that's um, so. The cotton, the candy flowers making performance was the first performance piece I have. Even though I didn't do any performance work when I studied in my BA, so that was really the first one. But when I kind of flash back my memory, I think my performance desire actually inspired a lot by my craftsmanship background. So, um, as mentioned earlier, I studied in glass blowing in my BA, and then actually glass blowing is kind of performative. If you search hot glass blowing in YouTube, and you find that hot glass blowing actually the whole process definitely is a performance. You see how different glass blowers they work together, and then it's all about the rhythm, the working pattern, and also time because you have competition with time. Time always not on our side when you make glass. I mean, also to other medium as well. And But it's kind of like performative process. And also people, they love to watch glass blowing. When I was studying in BU and then we have open day every year. And then so every time when we make glass in the studio, people just came to watch. And then I think at that, moment is kind of because my habit not afraid to being watched at some point i think that's is about is about gazing actually when you have performance not only how the people look at you but also how you look at the people and the audience so i think my craftsmanship background inspired me a lot Let's talk a little bit more about your performance because you mentioned that during this you interact with the environment as well. What kind of research and environmental preparation do you do for your performances? I do prepare for performance. I usually prepare a lot on concept development and studies. So as long as I comprehend much deep in the theme I was working on, and I also do material testing because for now, most of my performance are also with repetitive actions and also different material. I love repetitions. I really love repetition, repetitions. I mean, during the long repetition, like repetitive process with materials is kind of also give me a room and chance to study myself and also study the material. So I usually spend time on the concept and then maybe do some material testing but I don't do much and once when I do performance at that moment all my habitual gesture just come up and like lead me to do the performance as well it's all about my studies and just presenting my study but also studying more during the performance when you were explaining about your research you made a reference to material testing what exactly is this and can you describe it to me? 
I think it depends subject to the concept. For example, for the first performance, uh, there's no beginning, there's no end. I spent half a year to play with the cotton candy machine because I never made candy cotton candy before. At the very beginning, I tried to make it properly. How the store they usually make it, like use a stick to roll up the sugar free and then make it nice. And then turn out I didn't. I find that I didn't like it. I didn't like the pot puree, and then so I started to find my own way, and then observe the whole making process, and then I find that actually I love the cotton candy when it was collapsed. So because when the, the when the candy is spinning around, and then they would kind of build up a net, and also a web, and then so if I left it. There and then didn't do any actions with them. It just pulled together and then collapsed again. And then I love the processing looping in front of me. And so for that one, I spent around half a year to find my favorite making process of cotton candy. And for the second one, for the interweaving of you and I, which is a sunflower planting performative installations. That one I spent also spent at least half a year before the exhibition start to plant the sunflower from the seed to really have the flowers come out. Planting flowers is much more. I need to pay much more effort on that. I need to come back to my studio every day and to plant them, watering them, sowing them every day. And then at some point, I was like. During the process, I was a little bit exhausted because it's quite tired, but also I studied more and then I learned more about how the plants talk to me. Actually, they don't speak, but they use their condition to tell me what they need, and are they healthy or are they unhealthy? What what should I do more? What should I shouldn't do more? And then it's through of the studying process, and then for the last one for the dream interpretations one. The latest one I did with Parasite is also I spent time to observe the environment because I was fascinated with the sunlight shining through the window. So I have to find the right moment and also the right angle to do that. And also with different dream interpreter interviews, I have I also need to study what is dream interpretation about. So I would say that kind of material testings. Cost me a lot of time, mainly.、Yeah. That's really captivating. Are you still working with plants? Ah,、uh, after the project, um, different people. I contact different people. They adopt them. It's kind of like sunflower adoptions. <laughs> yeah, but also I keep contact with the people. I mean, if they still having my sunflower, and then I did receive a message from one of the family when they got the sunflower, and then after that, they sent me a picture. The sunflower opened. In the winter, yeah, I think I kind of sweet, and also, especially for those who adopt the sunflower, they were more understanding my concept be- behind, like how your emotion projected to the planting process as well, and how it triggered your emotions. You couldn't just treat them as an object; they also life matter. Their condition also affect your emotions as well. What you can do better, how you live together with. The other non-human creatures. Yeah. You also did a project. You collaborated with Per Platform, a performance art platform founded by Juliana and Florence. Can you describe the project you did with them? For Per Platform, we did the collective performance in Eden, Toronto,、uh, maybe also in the summer, and then like it was a collective performance with other seven artists. And it's a five-hour duration of performance. It was kind of like second time we we did a collective performance with the same batch of people. We did it once when Florence hosts a performance workshop in April, and then at that time we firstly most of them we firstly meet match each other in the workshop. It's a week work week length workshop, so it's kind of like intensive. We did different exercise and practice. Every day, like fully, I mean, from morning to night, and then turn on to the last day. We need to do collective presentations, 
also is more, much more about improvisation. So during the process, how you communicate with the others, and how you study the others, and how the others study on you, and how we work together, and it was quite memorable experience. And then turned out when Florence told us that we could perform again in Perform. So in the summer, so we did it once again. But through that experience, actually, it tells the difference when you did the performance in different venue. The first time we did it was in someone else's studio, but the building itself is already historical. So every object in the room, they gave you different like feeling and emotions to encounter. And then turn out to tomorrow maybe is a completely different environment, and with quite a lot of audience around you. That's create another vibe and feeling comparing to the first time we did. But both experience they were very memorable, and we learned a lot from each other. Let's address another subject. You graduated in 2018 here in Hong Kong. And I'm curious about your experience and viewpoints on the transformation of Hong Kong, and how you, as a artist and Hong Kong citizen, have witnessed the reshaping of the art landscape here in Hong Kong. It's, it's a little bit hard to believe it's just three years. I mean, after 2019, so I think the significant difference was the topic. That the artists and the artwork around you. I mean, so when you visit the exhibitions before twenty nineteen, I graduated in twenty eighteen. So, in every year in final year, I mean the graduation show of art degree, you can see what a generation concerned about. So I think before twenty eight, a trip twenty nineteen, is more about. Maybe the concern about personal identity, but is more like in terms of family perspective. And after twenty nineteen, you find that、um, every year you can see the recent graduation shows the topic shifts to more maybe political identity and also cultural identity, and even more much heavier. And you can spot that different. Artists to try to heal up themselves, and so trauma, traumatized, and healing, and they're kind of common topic among the artists and also the artwork in the past two or three years. I think that's the major shift on the topic study. I think. And the two major themes, trauma and healing, seem to play central in your work as well. I I totally agree because, especially, even though Pope's Human is a project we work on, and we have a like very significant topic and theme, but also the social context is is also fit in what's happening in in Hong Kong as well. I think, and for the、uh, there's no being there's no end the cotton candy performance it was happened in 2020 just a year after 2019. At that time, everyone around you was still kind of pessimistic, and also passive. There's no kind of hopeness at some point, and then so that one, if you were on site to watch the performance, it didn't like of usual cotton candy making process. It looks pinky, but also bloody. Yeah, that's the comment I got from the audience as well. And how I interact with the tools, I, how I hammering the the tools, how I clean the tools. Also, people interpreted. I mean, also I take the interpretation as well. It just also kind of in a violent way. And then when come up to the sunflower planting project,、uh, the interweaving of you and I in twenty twenty one. And I also thinking I was thinking about how to go further than after the chaos. None of us can change the situation significantly. So, but how we all pull each other and go further. So, coexistence is a very 
perfect topic at that time for me to explore more. That's why I choose to to do planting as a way to go out. I mean, as a healing process as well. After the sunflower performance, the duration performance, I also did a performance in Parasite, but for another group exhibition called Let's. That one is the most intensive one I did, and also visually the most bloody one I did. So I have a cabinet, like installed it on site, and then there's a mattress next to the cabinet. So I continuously, like climbing on the cabinet and falling on the mattress. The performance was about ninety minutes. So when I Acted the video. I can't how many times I fell down from the cabinet. S- more than sixty times during an, an hour and a half. And then so because I insert some uh, reddish paint inside the mattress, and then once I jumped off from the cabinet and then fell on the mattress, it wasn't an, an activation to the paint. So the paint just paint over on my body. And also smash over like everywhere, and then when I repetitively doing the process, the red paints just paint over the wall and the floor, and then also I wrote some script on the walls. It's kind of like there's no way to f- go out. Yeah, so it's kind of like expression to the situations after 2019, and also a relief, I, I would say. Because it was the work was inspired by and by a psychological terms called learned helplessness, and how we get through that and then to have a new journey at some point. When you were processing your trauma and healing through your art projects, was there a point that you considered to literally escape this experience and go to another place? Yeah, I'm planning to study actually. So and also, I would say we are stuck in Hong Kong for already three years. <laughs> I would say, and also the environment here, and we need some new insights. Especially if I choose to continue on performance art, I would say. And to be honest, when I study in my BA in in my university, there's no classes. Teaching about performance art. No one talk about performance art, and then so we never. I'm speaking for myself. I never、um, thought of doing performance art one day. I was so shy. I mean, I was so uncomfortable to like display myself out of the sight. I mean, and then so it just all coming like all of a sudden I chose performance art as my. Expressive like language, but also I would like to go further on that. I would like to see how the outside world, because the outside world they have longer history in performance art development. So I would love to see how they build up and establish more, and then go back to Hong Kong. And where, if you already know this, are you planning to study further? Yeah, Zurich. So I decided to to study in Suzuka, Suzuka University of the Arts there. And initially, I got the offer last year, but I just postponed the study. So it's going to be happening in the next autumn. Suzuka University of Arts, we have connections with BU, with the our master program, but the major they are different. I mean, what I applied for is MFA, Master in Fine Arts. While the connections, the connections to be used the other subject,、uh, so I decided to apply the school directly, and also the vibe there, and also the performance art festival around, they're different. So I would like to see how the new brainstorming will be. Yeah. Is this also the very first time you're going to live and study overseas? Uh, yeah, that was really exciting to study and experience a completely different environment from Hong Kong. What are your expectations from going overseas? I expect much more comments and hits <laughs> because I I think that's the the meaning of going out. How the environment 
hit you down and then how you kind of against it. Not really against it, but you learn from that and then you build up your own language. I think for art making is all about how you listen to yourself and how you build up your own language. For example, like for my practice, I mainly apply repetitions and also repetitive process during like in durational situations. And at the very beginning, I was told that also the audience, they might not that patient to finish watching your full performance if it is that long. And also what's the point? You have to think carefully about why you do something repetitive. What does repetition mean to you? And I did it like think it deeply. And because to me, repetitions uh, and repetitive process are not a cause for uniformity, but rather for like uniqueness and also distinctions. And right, the whole repetitive process, the longer time I work on, the more observation and study I can discover it, I would say. And also the accumulations of the material studies and observation is, is, one, is, is the core of my practice as well. So I'm glad that recently more and more audience, they stayed all the way for my performance. They finished, I mean, they stayed from the very beginning and finished watching the whole thing. I, I'm very glad that they're so patient. Yeah. What's your fascination about repetition and replaying your performances? And how do you decide the duration of your performance? Um, every time is different. For example, for let's, the, the one I did in uh, Parasite, um, continu continuously falling off from the cabinet. Uh, we didn't really can't limit the time, actually, after talked with the creator. But just coherently, every time around approximately 90 minutes, that's my maximum. And then that's what's the peak of my body and the physicality. And then so that's why I think for durational performance and also involving repetitions, it kind of pushing myself and my body, like mentally and also physically to an extreme. But also every time I can like, push the boundary and also like surprise by the, the extreme and also I can learn more about myself as well I mean the body would tell the material would tell so I didn't really limit the time every time as long as how my body think it, it is an end and then I just stop there for example the, there's no beginning there's no end the candy making process for days three and I think the latest stage of day two the audience already told I was different from day one some of them they came back again and then so they realized my body structure and also the power I um, I used my tools was quite different from day one and also because of my change of like the change of my physicality I was getting tired as well at that moment you kind of like how to balance your tiredness and how to also transform that energy into your performance but not out of control not uncontrollable but also in a yeah more manageable way so I'm looking at a photograph of the cabinet to fall from that continuously for 90 minutes seems very intense and kind of risky. How high was this cabinet? 150. Yeah, I, just, I mean, that cabinet was um, tailor-made and also subject to the... Because the first question I asked the curator was, what's the height of your ceiling? And then, <laughs> and then, and then so she... They, they are very kind. She and then they worry about my I mean my safety as well I, I worry about my safety as well but I tr also try to balance out the experiment and also in a more safer way yeah and then so that's what my that's was my first questions and the subject to this the height of the ceiling 
and then so and also subject to the height of my body <laughs> and also I kind of balancing out so I'll maybe 150 is the perfect or like better height of the cabinet I did it I did the trial before that for that one because I need to decide what is the height of the cabinet. I need to ask someone to help me make one for me. And then the the mattress actually I chose for queen size, so I got a wider and like bigger surface to to fall down, and then I can input more like uh, liquid and paint inside. Got more like sturdy. <laughs> And what did the cabinet maker say when you explained that you were planning to jump from it? Uh, so I asked my friend to make a cabinet for me and I told him, what does it for? And then so we did some trial, I mean, about the design. And then so we, we upcycled some wood from the crates, like some of the wood crates. And then so I also tried to be, I, every time I try to be sustainable. <laughs> so I upcycling the recycled wood. And then so we make a cabinet destined for the height. And then so we did a few trial jumping before we decided the structure and make sure the structure is safe for me to <laughs> to fall down. And then also for the cabinet, in terms of safety, uh, we also drew it through the wall actually for the installation. So at, um, it won't fall down together with me when I jump off. Beside developing a custom wooden cabinet, did she practice how to fall from it as well? It's really, I didn't ask anything anyone else how to fall and then because it was the setting it was uh, inspired by my childhood game I designed a childhood game at that time because my my parents they always work outside and then I always stayed along with my brother and sister at home and then we were bored we didn't have like computer or like Netflix at that time we can watch so we I tried to use different objects and furniture around me at home to design games and then so at that time um, I have a cabinet uh, at home and then next to it we have a sofa and then also we line up different tables folding tables and then so I just taught my sister and brother we climbed all the way up fell and then run on the table and then hide and seek and etc so when now i'm an adult when i need to make a cabinet it couldn't be that tall because i grew up already <laughs> the feeling was different really different like at that time i was six or seven so to me to such a kid the cabinet even just 120 was freaking whole, like tall and then like now I was an, ad, I'm an adult and I was like oh 150 with 150 actually didn't very tall than I expected but okay it's fine yeah we spoke briefly about what attracted you to performance art but can you recall what triggered you to begin with performance art in the first place one of the previous work which drive me to performance I think uh, is my final year project called The Moment. So The Moment is, is a um, site specific work at that time for my final year project. Uh, it happened in the campus, one uh, the garden in the campus and because of my major was hot glass blowing and then so when I came up to final year project I'm still fascinated by the topic of the interconnectedness between man and nature since my final year project, even though my performance they're not really like taking place in the outdoor environment, but they're still around the topic like the mankind and the nature, I mean the, their, their relationship. Because to me it's all about the law of nature and law of nature is doesn't just about something like about environmental issue or concern, but also about our death life matter. Yeah, and also about the time. I mean, these are the elements that men, we cannot change the time. We can just can follow the step of the time, but you can't change it. You can't stop it. So these kind of ideas. So at that time when, uh, when I did the final year project, and then I make a five meter long glass cane, and then I find that if I insert it 
vertically in the garden, and then it's also ice breaking to me, like to change my perception of uh, the fragility of glass, because um, the top of the glass cane was very thin, so it always swing and then also get interaction with the nature. It happened that some birds. They stood on the top of the glass, and then they find that it's not a tree branch, so they fly away. And then, so it was a uh, it, it accidentally turned to be a month long um, project. I mean, because I request to install earlier to start the installation earlier than the other students, we only got one week. But in my concept, also I want to witness and document the. The breaking moment of the glass, so I request to start earlier than the other students. It turned out to be a month. I thought it's gonna be three to four days. Then I can document the moment of breaking. But also during the whole process, because I promised to my school, I must be stay aside with the glass cane before it got break, and then so. I live in the campus for a month, and then I think I slept like maybe one or two hours every day because I want to witness that moment. So that's why the work home moment, and also how the nature environment actually encountering with the glass material, and that's why I choose transparent glass but not color like color glass. You can see the refreshments from the nature and also the sun. How the sun moving, and it can trace the the movement of the sun and the moonlight as well. And what else do you have planned for the rest of the year, Ice? So I'm also working on other projects next for next year, and it's gonna be also performance and installations. But this time, luckily, I got different chances to to work with other artists. So the project happened. Next year, they kind of like I can choose the artists I want to work with. So they are different duos. So I can luckily I can choose my like the artists I really want to work for so long, and also my favorite artists as well. I mean, and so it's gonna be fun and very insightful, I think. And for now, I couldn't tell too much for now as a surprise. <laughs> and then, but yeah, it's gonna be. Quite different from what I, because how you respond to as a duo, and how you respond to an other artist that's important. It's not just a set exhibitions with two artists. They I mean display separately, but how their works also talking to each other. So for duo, I think for now I spent most of the time to talk with the other artists. And to build up our conversation and build also build our relationship and our trust as well. So that's I think that's the different thing. I comparing to work as a solo and also a, like maybe a large group exhibitions. We come to the end of this podcast, and my last question for you, Ice, is: If you were to have your last supper, which artist would you invite and why? I think for the uh, if I need to invite someone for the last supper, I would invite my secondary school VA teacher. Yeah, because he inspired me a lot on art making. Because as as mentioned very earlier, he also studied fine arts and master fine arts in CUHK. But just at some point, he didn't choose to be an artist, but he want to be an educator to. Like to bring some influence to next gen- more generations, and I'm still glad that at that time, when I did my first installation art piece, he kind of like we had a, an argument at some point. I didn't I disagree with his point, and then he disagree disagree with my point, and then at some point, he asked me out of the uh, classroom. You think about that. <laughs> And it was heavy raining outside, and I just stood in the corridor, and then like I was like, mm. and then and then I think like after fifteen minutes later, I returned to the classroom, and then I said, "Can we talk again?" <laughs> 
So I think his like his teaching math work like inspired me a lot for my like art making process and also still so influential to me to to me now as well. Yeah. That was a great conversation, Ice, and many thanks for taking the time to sit down with me today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode with artist Ice Wong. I hope you enjoyed listening to The Last Supper, and if you do, I would really appreciate it if you can share it, leave a comment, subscribe to this channel, or give my podcast a star rating because your support is needed to raise the awareness of art in Asia. I will post all the social media links and other references on my blog and in this podcast description as well. And before you go, The Last Supper podcast supports the Hong Kong Art Gallery Association, a member-based non-profit organization of established local and international art galleries in Hong Kong.